Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. We're joined today by Sean Kokoska, a top-producing real estate professional who's sold over 4,000 homes and achieved over a billion dollars in sales volume. Sean has built and owned a land development company, home building company, mortgage company, title company, and now Icon Coaching. As the president of Keller Williams Maps Coaching and Maps Business Training, he's coached many of the top producing agents and teams across the globe. After collaborating on the writing of The One Thing, which is a New York Times bestseller, and writing all of the training curriculum for the workshops, keynotes, and teleseminar series, he consulted with companies like McDonald's, FedEx, T-Mobile, Sports Clips, Genentech, and many others to implement and deploy his business planning methods. Sean is a master class coach who has developed and refined his methodology of business building so that it's easy for the Icon coaching clients to double, triple, and even quadruple their current production levels. Now, let's welcome Sean to the call as we join our host, Tim Harris. Okay, thank you, Tim Ventura. That was certainly a fantastic introduction, maybe one of your best introductions ever. And I have to say it's certainly worthy because Sean Kukoska has been, um, and for just as longer than probably Julie and I have been in the business, he's been a true icon. That's the name of his coaching company, an icon in the coaching industry, but also an icon agent and just one of the nicest, classiest dudes in real estate that I know. And that's just, I don't know how else to say it. So, Sean, thank you very much for being my co-host today. I'm really looking forward to today's interview. Well, Tim, it's an honor. Thank you. So what Sean and I are going to do is we're going to talk – well, actually, Sean, can you give them a background? Because they need to know that not only are you a coaching stud, but they need to know that you were an actual real estate selling stud. And you sold just boat crap, tons of houses, whereas most coaches out there, as you know, have never sold real estate at all ever other than their own personal transactions. So can you give them a little bit of background so these people know what know who they're hearing they're listening to 100% Tim and I'm right there with you buddy it it drives me nuts that these guys have never sold real estate and they're still out there coaching people on how to do what they've never done it drives me insane so nevertheless amazing uh, I'll give you a little background real quick Um, started my career when I was 20 years old since then I've sold over 4,000 homes the team and I combined obviously over a billion dollars in sales volume I've owned mortgage companies I've owned title companies I've owned development company a home building company uh, a restaurant at one point I was even the car wash king of Denver Colorado, believe it or not, Um, yet I've uh, consulted with organizations outside of real estate when I was president of MAPS Business Training, companies like McDonald's and FedEx, um, Sport Clips, T-Mobile, Genentech, a whole bunch of different companies and a thousand you've never heard of before, yet what I learned is how to apply practical business knowledge to real estate production and profit, and I trust that we're going to be able to get into that at a very deep level today. Hell yes. But you've also, it's worth mentioning, you also were one of the key players in the formation and the scaling of MAPS coaching at Keller Williams. And that's something else that a lot of people will know you from, especially Keller Williams folks, is you were right there really at the formidable stages of that, the you know epic success story that was been Keller Williams MAPS coaching 
Um, so, I mean, that's something else that you certainly don't put enough feathers in your cap about. But, yeah, man, you know, so listeners, like I said, this guy's been there, done that. Not very many people out there like Sean. And I, actually, Sean, you know, that's without naming names. How many other people out there in the coaching space, other than Julie, myself, and you, have actually been there, done that, and, you know, have the scars to prove it? I can't – who else? Maybe one or two other people? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, you, you've got to have a, a passion for this, as you guys well know. I mean, you've got to have a passion to see your clients win and win in a big-time way. And when you've got that passion, man, it, it just it, it's an effortless energy, isn't it, Tim? I mean, it's like I, I feel like I've never worked a day since I started training and consulting and coaching real estate professionals because I tell you, that's what gets me out of bed every day, man, is, is watching them double, triple, quadruple their production and their profit to live in the houses they deserve to live in, drive those cars they want to drive and take those vacations and spend time with loved ones and, and all of that. That's, that's the fulfillment I get from it, and I know you're exactly the same, you and, you and Julie both. Well, my listeners won't let us get away with me agreeing with you wholeheartedly, but I'll agree with you most of the way because I don't personally believe, and this is how the whole podcast is going to be, guys, and I'm not disagreeing with Sean. We're just agreeing at different ways that you have to be passionate to be successful. Matter of fact, I'll suggest that being having believing, and I know this isn't what you were saying, okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll reel it in in a second, but believing that you have to be passionate about what you do in order to be successful is the big, one of the biggest downfalls of people being successful. What Sean was th- saying, I think, was that if there's aspects of what you do that cause you to feel passion, then hell yeah, you're on the right path. And yes, Sean, I have to say, I get more personal satisfaction from, just like I know you do, from seeing people be successful than even when I was selling real estate. And selling real estate, is, as you know, it can be awesome. I mean, taking a listing, being in a competitive situation, you know, mano y mano, that is so much fun. But seeing somebody who didn't have the ability to do that after you've coached them for a while, seeing them uh, be able to have their own successes, yes, man, I'm right there with you. That is something that it really is truly exciting. It's wonderful. You know, that's no doubt. I think let, me say one, let me say one thing yes. real quick, Tim. I, I, I don't know that being passionate is enough today. I think you've got to be obsessed. I mean obsessed with your goals, obsessed with your plan, obsessed with your ability to help others accomplish their goals in real estate. And when you're obsessed like that, recognizing, and Tim, you alluded to this, nothing, and I mean nothing, is 100% fun, right? Mm Mm-mm. So you deal with the grease, you deal with the gravy, and you know just focus in and hone in on those positions that, that make you feel obsessed about the industry and really give that the energy and focus because where your attention goes, your energy is going to flow. There's no question about that. Well, I'm so yes, so obsessed, and that's uh, by the way, guys, a great book that you might want to read is "Can't Hurt Me" by David. Uh, is it Doggins or Goggins? I'm sure you've read that, Sean. I, think I haven't. Not, not yet, no. Tim. Oh. Thank you. I'm writing oh, it down yeah, right now, though, buddy. Yeah, yeah, it's a fantastic book. Yeah, really, really wonderful. Anyway, so listen to that, read it, whatever, consume it. And what Sean said is – and this guy, uh, Sean, it, it won't surprise me or shouldn't surprise me that you share the same wavelength as a guy who is a former Navy SEAL, Army Ranger, pretty much the most elite uh, warrior probably you know, in our generation. That's who wrote this book. But in any of that, he says a similar thing. It's not enough to have passion, and passion is just a fleeting emotion, but you really do have to be obsessed. Now, can we – I'm sorry, curious, though. What does that mean? What's the difference where, – when you say obsessed, how does, how does an obsessed person run their life? <laughs> well, I think you've got to be That's careful with this because, because <laughs> by the way, this, this business, as I know you and Julie have experienced, Tim, is it can become you know, overwhelming. It can, it can take over your life. So uh, obsessed when you need to be obsessed, yet obsessed in everything you do. 
not just business, yet have your time block set up appropriately and be obsessed during those time blocks as it relates to business, yet there's really seven key areas to our lives, right? I mean, it's spiritual, it's your physical health, it's your personal life, and what I'm talking about is like the hobbies, the things that sharpen the saw, help you energize yourself, then your key relationships, and two categories to your key relationships would be your family and friends and your personal life, right? And then, of course, key relationships in your business. Then you go into your job, your business, and those are two separate categories because your job, well, that's working in your business and your business working on your business and then of course when you take care of those six key categories the seventh well it generally takes care of itself that's the finance side of your life right yes five areas of life expanded i really appreciate that actually i'm going to steal those points so thank you very much for that sir <laughs> My pleasure. So, the, so, so the question i wrote down and it's fun for me to interview you in particular sean but it's also fun for me to interview people that have been in the business as long as we have and i always like to ask really hard questions that cause them to sort of get off their normal talking points because everyone has normal talking points i certainly do um so without me going too far ahead of my skis i'm curious if you had to do it all over again if you're in your early 20s again when you're back in colorado um what would you have done differently if you could give if you could give the 20 something year old sean advice as a 40 year old something now what would you tell that sean uh in maybe three points Excellent. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer that, but first I need to give a little context, okay? I had mentioned earlier that I'd owned all types of different companies and organizations, all aligned with real estate for the most part, right? Now, um, so I, I had the real estate sales team. I decided to then start a mortgage company because I was tired of the – the you know, kind of halfway service I was getting from the MLOs in our market area. And I wanted to control that piece, not only for the financial benefits, yet just to provide a higher level of customer service to our clients. Then I started a title company, and then the land development company, the home building company. Now, here's the idea, Tim. It was six income streams on one transaction, right? I'm the developer. I would represent the development company. When we purchased the land, they would pay me a commission. I would then get entitlements. I'd pull in curb gutter, water, sewer. I would sell the lots back to my building company, peel off a little profit there. Then we'd build the home and collect a supervision fee through our construction lender, and which exceeded our expenses, so there was more profit there. Then, of course, whether it was pre-sold or not, the real estate company would list that property for sale, and the mortgage company would provide the financing. They'd be crazy to go anywhere else. We were offering discount points and everything else. We'd save them money through the process. Title insurance company would provide the insurance. We'd make more money there. And because everything we were doing, Tim, was above a million dollars, generally speaking, that buyer had a home they needed to sell, and the cycle would start again for the real estate company, the mortgage company, and the title company. And by the way, Tim, it worked, and I mean it worked really well. At one point, we calculated over 65% market share on any home being built in Denver, Colorado, and the existing suburb areas. Um, we had 16 land, development going, 16 land developments going all at the same time, and it was just powerful. Buddy, I'm telling you, it's private jet trips to Vegas every other weekend. It's three months in Europe. It's anything and everything we wanted to do. It's like everything I touched turned to gold, right? Now, here's the lesson. When you get into investing in real estate, get in and get out as quickly as you possibly can. And that's exactly the lesson that I would teach myself, especially in the land development game, which is a longer tail approach. I mean, you're talking three, four, five years sometimes to complete out a full-on subdivision. And here's what happened, Tim. I'm in debt to the construction lenders, about $125 million. I had about $40 million of my own cash invested in these companies, and 2008 came along. And I was holding a lot of real estate that nobody wanted, and that was painful. 
I mean, it was short sale after short sale after short sale. It was negotiating deeds in lieu of foreclosures with the banks on the land development deals. I mean, it was it was 18 months of pure hell. And really, um, during that process, as you could well imagine, it's kind of lonely. Um, it's incredibly depressing. And, you know, frankly, I I fell victim to a victim mentality where I was blaming everybody else. I was complaining about my circumstances. I was justifying my actions. And what I recognized is that nothing was going to change until I took personal responsibility for everything in my life, recognizing that I was where I was at because of my own decisions, not somebody else's. I mean, Tim, I had buyers walking away from quarter-million-dollar earnest money deposits with me that were non-refundable because they could you know, go to a different subdivision right down the street, buy a home of similar quality and square footage for 750000 in that depressed market where I had them under contract for one3 I mean, it was a smart business decision on their part, yet I ended up with over 100 properties all above a million bucks and 16 land developments, again, nobody wanted. And during that time of my life, frankly, Tim, it was depressing. I mean, I was even contemplating, you know, adding up my life insurance policy, saying, would my family be okay if I weren't here? I mean, it was that dark. It was that depressing. And really what, what kind of pulled me out of that is first taking responsibility for everything in my life, not blaming, complaining, or justifying. Second was just to, um, you know, taking responsibility would be, be number one. Second was really understanding my purpose, right, which was to – learn everything I could about this industry to align with people like Gary Keller, who I consider to be one of the smartest men in real estate, and aligning with him to, you know, first keep realtors out of that desperate financial position I found myself in, right? Second, to, you know, teach them the knowledge, skills, mindset, and habits so that they could go on and, and accomplish whatever they wanted to do. So, you know, prior to that, though, I had to kind of dig myself out of that hole. So I got back into real estate sales and really crushed it for a couple of solid years, dug my way out of that hole, and then sold the real estate team to align with Gary Keller, Keller Williams, you know, uh, collaborated in the, the writing of the Bold program and collaborated in the writing of The One Thing, which is New York Times best-selling book. If you haven't read that, guys, I'd encourage you to pick that up, developed all the training curriculum, and then that led me to working with some of those companies I've mentioned earlier. Yet at the same time, working with McDonald's, while it sounds a little bit glamorous, maybe even sexy, um, it was so far out of alignment with my hey, personal purpose. Working, yes. for, working for McDonald's, I'm sorry, does not sound sexy. I'm thinking fries and, and burgers, so I don't know what kind of world <laughs> you come from. Working for, but, dude, if you want to rock that your uniform, go for it. It's good. It's good. <laughs> I know what you meant, consulting. Consulting with McDonald's, right? It's not glamorous yet. Again, it was so far out of line with my purpose. In fact, uh, Tim, I was having lunch with the president of the Global Services Division, you know, during one of our breaks at a a workshop I was teaching to McDonald's Corporation, and he said, "Sean, I I love the models, I love the the systems, the tools that you're bringing to light to all of us. It's fantastic stuff, Sean. Yet, it takes a minimum of five years to have any kind of a cultural impact on McDonald's Corporation." And that moment, Tim, the wind kind of left my sails, right? My passion is seeing people win, and I thought to myself, what am I doing? You know, how am I, Sean Kokoskin, to have any kind of a massive impact on the trajectory of McDonald's? And then at that moment, that became a significant job. It's the only job I've ever had in my life. And I grounded out for another 18 months and then finally made the decision to resign, to step away from a well-into-the-seven-figure income bracket to you know, start icon coaching. Sean, so, Sean, so I, yes, but I'm curious. I asked you specifically, what would you have done differently 
if you could talk to the Sean from 20 years ago. And I appreciate everything you've said, but for the sake of basically delivering on that question, for the sake of the listeners, if there's one thing you would have done differently, I wrote down what you said, but I want to, tell, I, I want to translate this, and you tell me whether I'm on target or not, okay? Do it. Okay. You would have saved more money. You would have taken more uh, chips off the table and scrolled them away in some sort of you know way, manner in which would have created financial security for you for the for your entire life and the lives of your children, opposed to continuing to put the money back in the game. You would have learned sooner to take total ownership for all the good and the bad things that happen and never allow yourself to fall into the victim mentality. And I also wrote down that you said you would have learned earlier how to master uh, the financial game and not just basically play at it and continue to believe that on the other side of more leverage is financial freedom. Did I summarize correctly? Well, gang, you just witnessed what a great coach does. Yes, and you did a great job, Tim. That's exactly right. Well, I appreciate all those points because that's, you know, you and I have been through and we've seen people go through. I remember the big, uh, the team crash, basically, all the teams that went down the toilet. And you saw this too, that what you and I have witnessed it happening really three times. The tech crash that happened in the late 90s, and I think the most notable, there was a recession after that, but the most notable one was back in 07. And all these teams that basically lost sight of really what their purpose was, and they've rationalized. And I want to talk about this with you a little bit, okay? Because, look, you were with Keller Williams, but you're not with Keller Williams now, and I'm hoping you're going to be able to have a conversation with me. Well, let me just share, let me just set this up properly, okay? A couple weeks ago, uh, Gary Keller and I talked on the phone, and I asked Gary Keller a very direct question, and he, uh, I agree with everything you said about the guy. He's a freaking icon in our industry, no doubt. In business in general, one of the most influential people in business in general, period, full stop, nothing more needs to be said. I asked him why he allowed the MRE book to be essentially, I don't know what the word that I used was, but the word that's popping into my head now is bastardized to the point where agents are you know, building these big, very unprofitable teams. And every I hear story after story after story of people with big teams rationalizing, accepting less than 10% profit margins and falling. And nobody is there telling them that, look, as soon as the market adjusts like it will, you're going to be stuck with a whole bunch of ornery, you know, <laughs> people to manage that are going to be demanding leads and a bunch of fixed costs where you're going to be financially wiped out. And they not many of these guys have not been in the business long enough because they all came in the business after the recession after '07, so they have no reference points. And I hear I'm starting to hear from these types again. I'm starting to hear I did the team, I did the expansion team. My profit went to shit when I did the expansion team. I thought when I had a big team I wouldn't have to work as hard, but I went from working with buyers and sellers now to running an adult daycare, aka the team. So I I, I asked Gary why he has not stepped into the breach and told them that this is not what the MRE was intended for, millionaire real estate agent. And he told me, again, if I'm getting this wrong, I apologize, uh, but he said, in essence, they stopped listening to me. And I thought that was fascinating. So, And I believe him, too, because I've been in situations like that before. They, you know, I think he also said they started listening to each other. I think it's – actually, he did say that. He said they started listening to each other. So in other words, an, a wave of ego has entered into our industry where people have – rationalize that I'll sacrifice today's profit for maybe the idea that in the future I'll make profit. Look, look, I get it. In the next three years, I'm not going to make any profit. I'm going to work on my brand. I'm going to build my team. I'm going to buy some freaking moving trucks. Sean, you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
They're going to do all that, and then maybe next year I'm going to be able to save a bunch of money, or maybe next year I'm going to be able to pay off some debt, or maybe next year I'm going to go back to, okay? So now we're kind of at the end of the seller cycle. We're at the end of this market, and so many of these agents are so far ahead of their, out in front of their skis, they don't know what's coming. I'm curious what your stance on that is. Well, I think first off, people need to stop buying leads. My God, why, why on earth would you do that? It's a ridiculous philosophy to me. Now, if you are looking to expand and build a team, there's a right way to do it, and there's a wrong way to do it. And I believe, Tim, one of the most underutilized models in real estate today is the compensation models of the team. Now, in working with these, these companies that I'd mentioned, I, I learned that there are eight different ways that you can compensate people, yet the bottom line is if you are looking to expand your leverage through people, compensation is a critical element. And if you, uh, if you choose to do it right, you're going to pay those in a business development capacity based on results, not hourly, not salary or, salary or anything else. So I've got all the compensation models for the iconic organizational chart and the evolution of that team, which is based in personal experience as well as, you know, every month, Tim, I get the opportunity to uh, identify somebody that I perceive to be an icon of this industry. I fly out to their office. I, I review their P&Ls. I review their, their technology that they're leveraging. I interview their people, their scripts, their dialogues, their well, so you said You said two things. You said two things, okay? But again, I'm going to try to – so we can deliver maximum value. You said that there is – you're identifying that one of the reasons that many teams aren't profitable, first thing you said is don't buy leads. They're buying leads. And the second thing I heard you say is they're probably overpaying for substandard uh, results from their staff. Are those two things correct? 100%, yes. Okay, yes. And, I, and that's – there's no argument with either of those points. And the very fact that – and that's, that's the difference between the way, Sean, that it was in the 90s when – you know. The whole Keller Williams AMRE book, basically, all that stuff came from the, you know, Howard Britton people. I mean, that's where all that stuff was founded. You know that. I know that. Gary knows yep. that. Yeah. Sure. So the the fact is, is that those the original team model was predicated on making profit. And matter of fact, Gary's book was predicated on making profit. Why are we talking about this? Because so many of you are listening, and you're going to probably follow a primrose path that's going to lead to no profit. And you're going to have years pass where you're going to wonder, what the hell did I do wrong? And what I think Sean and I are both telling you is you probably did nothing wrong. You probably just followed the wrong path. But before it's too late, before the economy turns in a noticeable way, you need to seriously consider focusing on making your true product of your business profit. And that takes a massive mindset shift. And I agree with the first two points 100% that Sean said. Now, Sean, I wrote down three really good questions for you. Are you ready? Well, let me finish just one other thought. One of the things okay, that sorry. drives me absolutely insane, besides buying leads, okay, the second, or the third, rather, is teams that are leveraging their lead follow-up through ISA companies, outsourcing that lead follow-up. It drives me nuts because they're spending thousands of dollars every single month when if they can't do it internally, they've got vendor partners that will bend over backward for them to do that ISA work free of charge. Okay, So that, that's all I wanted to say, Tim. Meaning, yeah, well, okay. I, I do, but uh, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you my, my – this, this is one of the funniest businesses that have emerged in the last 10 years. I have to point this out. These businesses that take your leads, convert your leads for you, and then sell your leads back to you for a referral fee, that to me is hilarious. The fact that agents <laughs> would, would buy leads 
not call their own damn leads back, have some other some other company call their leads back and convert their leads, and then sell their leads back to them for 25%. Guys, you literally would have been better off working with Sean at McDonald's. Come on, man, that was funny. <laughs> then, then giving away all your profit. So you wonder why the average brokerage makes less than three percent profit, and you wonder why the average team makes less than ten percent, more like seven or eight percent. It's because you guys give away all of your money because you're not willing to do what you don't want to do, and you don't want to do at the highest level. To Mr. Kukos's point, stop buying leads, learn how to generate your own. All right. I uh, got let, let three me, we talked about we wanted to make uh, we wanted to give them some actionable items, things they could implement like right now, deploy and start getting traction in their business today. Hoorah! Okay? So um, I'm going to go back in time to when I was when I started in this business. I was a buyer's agent, right? And I put the systems in place where I could consistently close over 100 buyer side transactions per year with one assistant. Okay, so it's definitely possible. You just have to systemize your process. Now, at that time in my life, Tim, I was investing three, four hours a day in lead follow-up with buyer prospects that, frankly, weren't going anywhere. I mean, they were C buyer prospects at best, right? And yet I would invest that time, Tim, because I couldn't stand that gut-wrenching feeling that I know all of our listeners have experienced when you follow up with the lead a week or two too late, and they say, oh, Sean, I wish you would have called me last week. We just went under contract. So I would consistently invest that time, and then I learned about this 4D approach, D like Delta. Right? Now, this 4D approach is a habit of productivity, and you think about doing something, anything, I'd encourage you all to go through this psychological process of asking yourself four questions. Right. So the first question, when you think about doing something, ask yourself, can I ditch it? Does it even need to be done at all? So a simple example of this is, Tim, over 100 buyer-side transactions, and I was personally going on every one of those home inspections on my own, right? Now, think about it. The average home inspection takes, what, about three hours, including drive time. Now, it was more than 100 per year, yet let's just use 100 because I like round numbers and I hate math, okay? That's 300 hours that I was investing in home inspections. And the bottom line is, if the furnace is broken, the dang furnace is broken, I'm not going to fix it, right? So I went to my broker and said, can I send a licensed assistant, because 300 hours, guys, divided by a 40-hour work week, that's seven and a half weeks of my life that I was sitting around at home inspections. Come on, it's not the highest and best use of my time, right? So my broker says, no, Sean, you have to, you have to go yourself. So I called our counsel. I, I asked the attorney, is there something in the Code of Ethics? Do I personally have to be there, or can I send a licensed assistant? He said, no, you can send a licensed assistant. So uh, in essence, by getting permission uh, to ditch something, Guys, I was able to get seven and a half weeks of my life back that I could reallocate to what I call the 20% effort. So uh, I'm going to go down the bunny trail real quick, okay? I'm talking about Pareto's principle, the 80-20 yes. rule, right? Yes. I mean, 20% of your actions in real estate will, will yield at least 80% of your results. And in real estate, gang, it's really, really simple, okay? It's practicing your skill, knowing what to say, knowing how to say it. Then it's about lead generation. It's about lead follow-up. And when you do those three things right, the next two items on your 20% job description list pretty much take care of themselves, right? So practice, lead generate, lead follow-up. Then it's about going on appointments and negotiating contracts. And those five things are the only things that are going to move the needle for you and your organization as it relates to production and profit, okay? So ask yourself, can I ditch it? What can you ditch today that you could reallocate that time into the 20% effort? The second D, after you ask yourself, can I ditch it? If you can't, ask yourself, can I delegate it? 
Now, I got to this point, and I, re- I looked at my schedule and said, okay, I'm investing three to four hours following up with C buyer prospects. I thought, who else benefits when I close a transaction? My mind immediately went to my lender. So I called him up and said, listen, I want to give you the opportunity to earn the business of every one of our buyer prospects. Yeah, you've got to earn that right. He said, well, Sean, tell me, what do I need to do? Because we developed a lead generation machine, right? So I said, four things. First, you've got to be willing and able to follow up with every buyer prospect that I send to you until they buy or die. Second, you've got to be willing to use my scripts. And Tim, here's the first script. Here's how it went. When I got permission for the buyer prospect to have the lender call them, the lender was instructed to say these words. It was typed out, it was given to them, and they said, hey, it's John over at XYZ Mortgage Company. Hey, and Sean Kokoska asked me to give you a call. And before I begin, I just want to take a moment and commend you on your selection of a real estate agent. You know what? Sean is by far the best realtor I've ever come across. And I've been doing this for 28 years. How'd you get in touch with Sean? So they had to be willing to make the call all about me. See, if I said that, Tim, it would be ego-based, right? Absolutely. They say it. They can sell you better than you can sell yourself. So there's a mutual understanding that I was going to sell them, they were going to sell me. Okay? And in so doing, I was able then to get back that three to four hours a day to reallocate that to lead generation. Okay? So it's, it's all about what can you ditch to reallocate to the 20% effort. Okay? The third thing for the lender is they had to report to me on a weekly basis on the pipeline. What was the last communication? What's the next communication? And they rated each prospect on a scale of 1 to 10 in terms of motivation. And then fourth, they had to be willing to go to every open house that our buyer agent team was doing uh, and send an MLO uh, for many reasons, not, uh, some of them not too terribly obvious, yet I don't want to go d- too far down the bunny trail, okay? So first D, can I ditch it? Second D, can I delegate it? The third D, can I do it later? Now, this requires for you to work your schedule in time blocks, to time block various uh, tasks that you get to do every single day. Like one that's not dollar productive is email. Yet let's say you're in your lead generation or lead follow-up time block, and that friendly little window pops up at the bottom right corner of your screen. See, the moment you click on that, it opens your email inbox, and you've made a conscious and subconscious decision to begin managing other people's priorities instead of your own. See, rather, when you've got a time block set aside for email, and I'd encourage three time blocks per day, then you can see that window and truly say, I'll do that later. And once you've built these time blocks, well, then it's a matter of approaching your day kind of like your high school schedule. Tim, go back to high school with me real quick, right? First day of school, you get your schedule, right, from the administrator. You know you need to be in room 1A by 8 a.m. before the bell rings or you'll be marked tardy. And you're going to sit down and you're going to study that subject for about an hour, right? Then the bell rings, you've got a couple, couple of minutes to collect your things, you've got to be down the hall, you're going to study a different subject for that hour. And those that approach their schedule and their business that way, in a disciplined fashion, truly create more freedom, flexibility, and financial wealth. So real, real quick recap of the 4D approach, right? Can I ditch it? Can I delegate it? Can I do it later? And the final resort, do it now. And Tim, you know as well as I do, most realtors, they want to do everything right now. They end up with 15 projects all working simultaneously. Their focus is so diluted, they're not accomplishing anything, and they've mistaked movement for achievement. And we've all experienced that phenomenon of showing up early at work, and you work all day, and yes, you're busy, you finish up late, you get home and you look back upon the day and you ask yourself the question, sure, I was busy, yet did I make any money? Well, so the agents, yeah, the the problem that agents have is they don't, they aren't clear about the things 
you know, you you did say that you, you it's basically the five things, you know, that, or you said six things, but in essence, we, it's the same thing, right? You have to proactively lead generate, you have to pre-qualify, you have to present, you, you have to negotiate, you have to close. And you said practice, which is a great thing to add on there as well. But the bottom line is, is agents don't spend their time doing that for the reasons that you just said, because they're too easily distracted by all the things that are, you know, emails and communications and different forms of this and the other things. And so they're pulled in a thousand different directions, and they never do, ultimately, what they don't want to do, and they don't want to do it at the highest level. And Sean said said this brilliantly uh, earlier. Stop being a dumbass buying leads, because when you buy leads, ultimately, you don't have control of the relationship. You, If you are one of these agents that's only been in the business since 07 and 08, you probably don't know what Sean and I probably sound like freaking dinosaurs to you because we're actually telling you to do real work and develop real skills where most of you think you can just buy your way to success because that's what the industry's been like since you've gotten into the business. What Sean's saying is the truth. What Sean's telling you is to actually think of yourself as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, and take, as he said earlier, take ultimately responsibility for all the good things and the bad things that happen to you. Um, and learn to focus all your best energies, Pareto's principle, the 20%, on the things that are actually going to get you paid. And the other things you can do, delegate or ditch. Makes perfect sense to me. So, so I wrote down a great question. At least I think it's a great question. You ready for this one? Go for it. All right. What are the top three things? And this is a good opportunity for us to pivot to. What are the top three things that most agents are horrible at? It doesn't matter where they are in the spectrum of success. Horrible at. I could think of like a thousand, but what are the top three things you could think of? Well, the, the first thing that comes to mind is consistency. And I know that's a very broad mm. subject, yet consistency around the 20% effort. Consistency around practice, lead generation, lead follow-up. Appointments, of course, being the natural byproduct, and they're not consistent on appointments because they're not consistent on the first three things I mentioned. And they're not consistent in negotiating offers either because they don't have enough of them because they're not consistent in those first three things that I've already mentioned, right? So I, I don't want to sound like a broken record, yet the, the bottom line is uh, they're, they're horrible at consistency around those things, and, and that encompasses five things, and I apologize you asked for three. Yet if they could just get consistent around practice, Okay, let's talk about that real quick because really there's three things that, that realtors can control, and it, it seems ludicrous that you can only control three things, yet I, I believe it to be absolutely true. You can control what you do or say. You can control how you do it, how you say it, and you can control how many people you do it with and say it to. So when you boil down success, those that achieve extraordinary production numbers – They've just figured out how to work their schedule so that they know what to say, they know how to say it, and they say it to enough people. And I know that sounds overly simplistic, yet it's the God's honest truth. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It makes perfect sense. But and yet, people have translated actually having what is the you know drilling down on what you just said, direct communication. They don't have direct communication with people. They're afraid to pick up the phone. They've substituted social networking and SMSing and all these other things for actually having the skill set, the sales skills to learn how to actually sell people uh, why they should work with them. And, I mean, that if you really – if we were to circle the wagons back to that one point, that's really the main thing I see holding most agents back. But I want to go back to the question, what are the three things agents are horrible at? But the, it's agents. When you ask agents – we are – you know, you've presented in front of billions of people, more people than Julie and I have live. I'm sure you have. 
And if you were to ask those agents in the audience, do they consider themselves salespeople? It is shocking to me how many will fight with the idea. I, 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 I intentionally ask questions that will provoke a reaction because it's more fun. But when you ask that question, it's always fascinating to me to, for people to say just they, – they, it's like they're religiously opposed almost to considering themselves salespeople. Do you consider yourself exactly a salesperson? Yeah, it's horrible, right? It, because what's on the other side, Sean, when somebody accepts the fact that they're a salesperson and they say, I'm a salesperson, what's on the other side of that? If they accept that they're a salesperson? Yes, sir. That they're going to have to refine their skills, they're going to have to refine their conversion approaches and their strategies and tactics. And if they just made that decision, Tim, you know as well as I do, the natural byproduct is an increase in production and profit. So uh, I'll circle back, though, a couple of other things that I think realtors are just horrible at. And I, I think they're horrible at um, conversion. There, and there's really four basic reasons that, that realtors don't convert leads at an extraordinary level. Um, so they're horrible at response time. They're, they don't know what to say. They don't know how to say it, which means they're horrible at practice, right? Um, they're horrible at time management. Um, hopefully that 4D approach will help. And I, I don't mean to be so condescending or even rude, yet the, the truth is the truth, right, Tim? I mean, let's face it. Most realtors got into this business for three basic reasons, right? They got in for freedom, they got in for flexibility, and they got in for financial wealth because every realtor they know is rich, Right. So and one of the greatest people – listen, one of the, I'm going to give credit where credit's due. One of the greatest people in real estate actually coined that, and that was your mom, Diana. I, I, I heard her say it first. I, th I give her credit in my mind for saying that. And she I'll give was, her credit, too. <laughs> yeah, man, that was so true what she said. It's so hilarious. And, <laughs> but give, so, them, give them the punchline, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so the challenge in that is that they choose freedom and flexibility first and therefore never get around to financial wealth. Guys, right. if you make the decision, when you make the decision – to choose discipline first. Discipline around those five key ingredients that I shared with you. Practice, lead generate, lead follow-up, going on appointments and negotiating contracts. When you choose discipline first, and I know it sounds like an oxymoron, right? It doesn't even sound natural, yet discipline creates freedom, flexibility, and financial wealth. That's right, and I think that's really the bottom line too. Uh, and I, I actually heard your mom say it once, and I really loved it. She said, it's, most people accomplish the first two goals of uh, you know, basically not having a boss and not having anyone hold them accountable. They accomplish that the second they get their license because no one's really going to care or know what they're doing. And the third one they never accomplish, and they then live the rest of their lives being resentful that they never got rich for never having any accountability or, or basically never, being, you know, never doing anything consistently. So something like that. Anyway, it's so true. I mean, that's really the essence of why everyone needs a coach. And and look, we're not going to make this a coaching pitch, but it's obvious that the best people, the most successful people, the most essentially accomplished people in any walk of life have some form of external accountability. A lot of big ego types think they can hold themselves accountable, and maybe you can to a certain extent. But at the end of the day, even like that book I mentioned earlier, Can't Hurt Me, um, he, he is definitely something that's different as far as a human, but he always had some form of external accountability. He always had somebody that was a partner. He always had you know, a group of people around him that were encouraging him, even though he was excelling at such a different level than everybody else was. So, you know, look, guys, the, the reality of it is, is if you're struggling, maybe you should consider the fact that you, maybe you're on the wrong path and it's a good opportunity before the economy noticeably changes for you to change direction. So I'm going to answer my own question. Uh, things that agents are horrible at. I agree with everything you said. Uh, lead follow-up, absolutely. Uh, being consistent, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, doing what they don't want to do and they don't want to do it at the highest level is how I'll encapsulate those two points. I may throw out this next one. 
they are terrible at focusing on making profit. That's the thing that most agents will procrastinate. Most agents live and breathe thinking that they'll have money left over. In other words, if I do enough deals, if I sell more houses, if I do this, the other thing, somehow magically at the end of the year, I'll have this big nest egg. Well, that isn't the way it works. If you don't build in profit on the top line of your business plan, you're not going to have any profit. That's the first that's, – so that right there. They're very bad at making profit. They're very bad at holding themselves accountable, again, going to the reason why you want, you want external accountability, to building any kind of long-term wealth plan. And that's the thing that really uh, – you know, you were talking about the word – using the word passionate earlier. For me, that's where I derive my most uh, – that's where I get my most energy. When I have somebody that hires me to be their coach and inspires me after they've accomplished their financial goals and they no longer need for me to help them uh, ascend and build the passive income, that's what I find enjoyable, as ironic as that is. Because those, the idea that we can be in such an amazing economy, an amazing business, and, in my, and I think Sean will agree, perhaps one of the most incredibly opportunistic uh, ways for anyone that goes from nothing to something is selling real estate and being in this industry. It's the greatest blessing to anyone with an entrepreneurial mindset, in my opinion. You know, you're, there's no other path you could follow where you could actually have such incredible opportunities. But people in this business have a tendency to be so hand-to-mouth, so commission check to commission check, and they never actually have a plan to build wealth. The traditional plan to build wealth has always been, this is one I followed, and I know Sean followed it as well, is to accumulate rental properties. The accumulation of rental properties is a very logical uh, process to go through to maybe one day have enough passive income from your paid-off rental properties that you can live off your you know, your residual income, if you want to call it that, from your rental properties. You have become rich, and by the definition, our definition is rich is where your money works for you, and you no longer have to work for your money. But in this day and age, there's new ways that you can accomplish that same goal and actually shorten your path to wealth. And Sean and I were talking prior to this podcast about some of the – the biggest, most incredible things that, you know, had we, either one of us, had the opportunity to explore 20 years ago, we would have taken a serious look at, and, and you and I were both circling the wagons around EXP Realty. I mean, what's your stance on the effect that EXP Realty is having on the real estate industry and how it, it's benefiting agents? Uh, it is probably the biggest disruptor in the real estate industry that I've ever seen. I mean, when when KW came along, that was a disruptor with the profit share model, where agents could actually make residual income based on you know their ability to help Keller Williams grow. Now EXP has come a, along and just blown that up, not with profit share yet with revenue share. And you know I've got friends in the industry, you know, frankly that are. are you know, netting through revenue share, geez, five, six hundred thousand dollars a month because of their ability to uh, interest people in that model and and help them, you know, recruit other agents and really help EXP expand and grow. And you know, I, I think they're doing it really smart. They're they're compensating their agents to help them get market share. And so I, I think it's a really uh, it's a game changing model in my opinion. It is because this is – and, Sean, I want to have a real drill-down conversation with this if you don't mind, like we, like we did off-air, okay? I've never seen anything – and, again, don't disagree with me if you don't agree, okay? Don't worry about the fact this is our podcast. You won't offend me. But I have never seen anything in the industry in the whole time we've been – you know, ever, 20-plus years, that has been so – uh, in alignment with helping agents. Everyone else gives that lip service. Everyone says I'm in the agent business. Everyone says I'm here to, t you know, everyone says that, but I've never seen anything that backs up the words with actual actions. Do you agree? 
I, I'm right there with you, Tim, 100%. Uh, I, I see the uh, experiences of like last month's Icon of the Month where I do that free webinar with Brent Gove. I mean, he's one yeah. of the guys that's absolutely crushing it in in the EXP environment, and uh, he's recruiting agents. We were crushing it, and, and I'll tell you, it's it's really fun to sit back and watch. Well, Brent's an interesting case study because he was – what was he selling, Sean? Over $100 million per year in California, and he didn't even, like, intention – he got into EXP, but his focus really wasn't even on sponsoring agents. And he's one of these guys that's become – I mean, he's becoming fabulously wealthy off just sponsoring agents. And, you know, and he's obviously still selling real estate, too. Anyway, here's the thing. Uh, this Later this month, listeners, uh, Sean is speaking at an event that EXP Realty is um, – sponsoring, which is great, along with Mellow Home, by the way. And the best part is the event tickets are only 50 bucks because the event is sponsored. If you're interested in attending the event, it's on April 19th. Text the word EXP event to 31996. Text the word EXP event 31996. And this is certainly not just for EXP agents. It's for everyone. And when you're there, go up and, you know, introduce yourself to Sean. Obviously, he's got a lot to say. So, Sean, um, EXP also uh, created a video that they wanted us to share with the listeners, and I'm going to give them that code in a sec. Actually, I'll give it to them now. If you guys want to watch this really kick-ass seven-minute video that explains how so many people are finding a real you know, way forward in their real estate businesses and their financial futures, I want you to text the word EXP Wealth, EXP Wealth, and text it to 888-111. Text the word EXP Wealth to 888-111. So let's talk a little bit about the technology. Why would an agent want to consider EXP Realty? I mean, what have you seen? Because here's what I saw, Sean, is it was about two years ago. I started seeing so a lot of the people that you and I both know, some of the top realtors in the country, biggest teams, you know, really successful individual practitioners that you've never heard of, they all started taking a hard look at EXP. I did my best to ignore it, <laughs> frankly, because I thought it was an MLM. I thought it was all these things, and I just didn't want to have to pay attention to it. And then I could not not pay attention to it. And once I watched a video very similar to that one, and once I learned how their model worked, I couldn't unwatch it. I couldn't not think about it because I realized what a huge home run it was for agents because it's, in my opinion, it offers all the same benefits of the best real estate brokerages in the country, and I don't care which brokerage it is. Now, there are some exceptions where if you're selling like in certain parts of New York or certain parts of really ultra-high-end areas where maybe you want to stay with a real high-end brand, but for 99% of the agents, EXP offers the same, if not more. So that checked with the box. But then the things that they offered, which was really amazing to me, it answered the questions. It, it solved the problems of what agents were the worst at, and, and I gave you mine, at horrible at saving money and building solid financial futures for themselves because EXP – and it's all explained in that video. And again, guys, text the word EXP Wealth to 888-111. But you get stock, and the EXP is publicly traded for doing certain things. And again, watch the video. But the revenue share model, that is what's really a game changer. Sean mentioned um, we, he and I know a lot of people that are making hundreds of thousands of dollars per month, but that's really unobtainable mentally for a lot of people. I have met, since we started doing these interviews and just different things, and just the podcast listeners, 
I have met so many people at EXP that are making, you know, between five and ten thousand dollars a month. Now, some of you will say, "Well, I spend that on a weekend in Vegas," and I get it, you do. But for a lot of people, what this is doing is giving them a sense of financial security that they can pay all their personal bills, and the money that they make from selling real estate can again go to spoiling their families. It can go to paying off debt, paying for college tuition, donating the money to charity, whatever you want to do for it. That's the game changer. It's not just yeah. about basic, you know, th those are the things that really have excited me, seeing agents that maybe wouldn't have had the ability or maybe had the time, really. A lot of agents have, are just still licking their wounds from the last financial downturn, and now they're actually getting to the point where, oh, my gosh, the next housing, you know, we're now going to start entering into another housing slowdown, and I still am barely out of the hole that I had created for myself during the last housing downturn. What am I going to do? And then they discover EXP, and you talk to these people. And it's amazing. I've done some of these interviews over the past couple of weeks where I, on one of them I literally started to cry because her story was so emotional. Elizabeth Riley, listeners, if you want to listen to that podcast, it was amazing. Just listen to it on iTunes or go to timandjulieharris.com, Elizabeth Riley. I mean, that is one of those interviews where you just it's so emotional because just – you know, financial security has changed all the everything for her. It's not just about having a transactional life anymore. Anyway, I mean, I'm just curious, where's your mind going with this? Well, you know, when I when I first heard about EXP, and frankly, Tim, I, I did a ton of research uh, as president of Maps Business Training on organizations that that paid um, based on gross versus net profit. And I'll tell you, most of those organizations, well, they went bankrupt because of the fixed expenses associated with running the business. So when I heard about EXP at first, I said, well, they're doing rev share instead of profit share. It's never going to last. They're going to go belly up. They're going to go bankrupt. And then I started investigating the model a little bit further and realized that uh, as I looked at it 20 different ways to Sunday, that this model is economically viable 100% because they do not have those hard cost fixed expenses. That's they're then able to – because it's virtual, right? So they don't have yep. brick and mortar. They don't have that expense that you know your company your, your company dollar those splits that you guys are paying, uh, which in a lot of cases are exorbitant. Uh, those are going to to offset a lot of those expenses and really line the pockets of your managing broker or your broker owner, right? Where you don't have those expenses inside. <laughs> exactly, and yeah. and the regional owner and the operating partner and the right, right. And it's going into so many pockets. In the EXP model, they've they've really taken the complex and created a straight line toward profit. There's no deviation from it. There's no stops, turns, or U-turns. It's just a straight line from gross profit to cash in the agent's pocket. And really all you have to do to earn that is share the model with others, right? So I, I think it's a, a really powerful model. Um, you know, some of you are with KW, you're in the profit share model. I think that's fantastic. Uh, my only challenge with that model, and of course this is a subjective opinion, is um, that really the net profit of the market center is determined by the operating partner as well as the agent leadership council. So if they want to remodel the office or if they want to expand the square footage, well, that affects the profit share of every agent within that network in the EXP model because you don't have those, those sideways turns and, and hairpin turns and all of that in the net profit calculation then you know it's just it's based on gross and that's money in your pocket instead of the managing partner 
So well, uh, here's how here's how smart I am. I mean, they I had that explained to me like a billion different ways, and I really didn't understand it, you know, because I didn't understand the difference between profit share and uh, revenue share. And I'll make it real easy because there's got to be some people out there that are as dumb as me. Um, so here's the thing: they share, and this was when I got this. It was like I was that that was it. They share the profit off. I'm sorry, the revenue off the cap. So when somebody sell, you sponsor somebody, and somebody, guys, look, this is going to sound like we're making it too complicated. Just watch this video. Just text the word EXP Wealth, EXP Wealth, no spaces, EXP Wealth to eight 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 one one one, EXP Wealth to eight 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 one one one. But here's the moral of the story: they're sharing. You get a percent of what the person pays in off their cap. Not what's left over after the new copier and the new carpet, the new couch, and you know the the management trip to Vegas where they just sat around the pool all, t- all, all weekend and drunk, you know whatever, right? <laughs> I mean, so you get paid off the top of um, the the profit, the revenue that comes into the business. There's nobody that it, the agent is getting paid, obviously, who did the transaction, and you're getting paid off that the money that they paid towards their cap. I don't know how to explain it other than that, but when you get that conceptually, it's like, oh, my gosh, that's a huge home run. That's the reason that's – I mean, I'm not going to say it's easy, but I'll tell you that talking to people about EXP, once they get that and once they realize that, okay, it's uh, virtual, so that explains why it's viable. And you guys also have to remember, it's publicly traded. For those of you who are – you know very interested in exploring the financials, just go and re- read the financials online. You can read all of them online because it's traded on – the EXPI is their stock, and it's traded on NASDAQ. You can do all the research that you want. At this event that Sean's going to be speaking at, Julie and I are going to be there as well, you're, there's going to be – matter of fact, that Brent Gove person that Sean mentioned, he's going to be there as well. Um, and there's another guy there that's going to that's earning – I don't even want to talk about it. It's so much money people wouldn't believe me off revenue share. He's going to be speaking there as well. But if more, uh, the focus on this event is going to be real estate education, that EXP is sponsoring the event along with Mellow Home. So if you want to attend that event, it's happening April 19th. All you've got to do is word, uh, text the word EXP event to 31996. So, Sean, would you agree that had you gotten into the business 20 years ago and this opportunity would have been presented to you, uh, what would you – you know, this is – I asked Julie and I. Okay, I'll tell you a true story. Julie and I would, did not want to have anything to do with EXP because we wanted to stay as agnostic as long as possible because we thought that if we aligned ourselves with any one particular brokerage brand in any way, that it would work against us. Well, the exact opposite has happened. Um, we're attracting people to us because they're realizing that EXP is the way forward, and everybody is EXP curious. Agents in all marketplaces or brokerages or, or teams are running DXP because they're seeing that it's a massive way forward beyond just selling houses and buying rental properties. So people are genuinely excited about that. I was still a butthead about it. I still didn't want to involve myself. And Julie and I are driving up from this event that's happened in some nice resort you know, somewhere in Texas, and we're driving back up. And... Um, this is after they'd, they'd asked to go to two events because they wanted us to do this, this event, our interview series, and they wanted to you know, work with us. And I still said, Julie, I don't want to do it. I'm just afraid what the ramifications will be for the coaching business. And she asked me this one question, and it always takes a wife. I'm sure Rosie asks you questions like this all the time. 
she asked me this one question. She said, Tim, do you believe that our true, highest and truest mission is to be of service to the agents, the people that listen to us and go to us? At, I mean, even if we do get a benefit from it, do you believe that that's our highest and truest purpose? In other words, if you know something that's going to benefit agents, are, are you being a hypocrite by not telling them? I mean, that's the question she asked me. Those were almost exact words. And I didn't answer her right away, but I thought about it. Yes, I was being a hypocrite. So because I was worried my ego was getting in the way of me, uh, you know, essentially taking the stance that we are now, I was actually in conflict with what I claim my mission to be, which is to be of service to other agents. Did you go through a sort of a metamorphosis like that? Well, yeah, and I, I mean, I'm not out uh, – I don't want this to be a commercial for your EXP necessarily. It's just um, – it is a model that somebody can create financial wealth. And if they're interested in doing that, then you know, text that EXP Wealth to 888-111. Just check it out. Save you a lot of time Googling or researching or anything like that. Just watch that seven-minute video and just be curious. You know, Get out of judgment, get into curiosity, as I always say. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. So listen, as we've been on, we've been doing this for about an hour. Is there anything, I'm sure in your mind, you've been, it's been bouncing, going in different directions. Is there anything else you'd like to say to all the podcast listeners? Anything that you'd like to pass along? Um, I'm trying, I was trying to focus this on the perspective of someone who'd been in the business and had all the diverse experiences that you've had. You've been up and down the mountain. I think you were very honest, which I knew you would be, about your experiences, your successes, and your failures. I can tell you're sincerely wanting to help people learn from both your successes and your failures. If, if you're trying to help somebody avoid the failures and just embrace the successes, what would you, as we wrap up today's podcast, what would you pass along to them? Well, I, I would summarize that by saying, you know, the smart people, well, they learn from their own mistakes, right? I mean, the dumb people, they don't. They just keep making the same mistakes over and over and over, right? The smarter people, though, they learn from the mistakes of others. And the smartest people of all, guys, they learn by studying the successes of other people. So I would just encourage you guys to uh, engage in this, this monthly Icon of the Month webinar that I do where I'm interviewing agents that have figured it out, those that are really crushing it. So you can just go to my website. It's iconcoachingre.com. Register. It's absolutely free to attend, and it's a one-hour webinar where I promise you, you're going to learn some tactics and strategies that will be implemented, deployed, and increase your production and your profit. And, uh, yeah, I think beyond that, um, a philosophy, Tim, that, that I embraced um, when I was just a teenager. In fact, it was hammered into my head by, by, by my late grandfather. He said this. He said, in business especially, I want you to approach it this way. He said, I want you to give to others without ever remembering and receive from others without ever forgetting. And I think when you approach it with that mindset and that attitude, guys, that the, the customer service, that wow factor, the repeat clients and the referrals that you gain, I, I mean, that is the easiest business that you can get. And it all starts with an attitude and a mindset of coming from contribution. <clears throat> yeah. There's no way I can better that. So, Sean, that is the best way that we could end today's podcast. And I knew this would be a fun podcast. Um, and it was. And I really appreciate it. Uh, I sincerely you being my co-host. It's, an, it's been an honor, my friend, to know you uh, for as long as uh, Julie and I have. One of our first contacts with Howard Brinton was with your mom, you know, forever ago. And uh, yeah, you guys are like real estate royalty, you and your mom and Tony DeSello. And I really do sincerely mean that. You guys are some of the most, you know, honestly, honorable. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say. I'm just, I'm really thrilled to have considered you guys friends for so long. And I look forward to many, many decades more of shared success. 
Well, that's heartfelt, Tim, and thank you. Feel the same way about you guys. Keep up the great work. Yeah, thank you. And listeners, uh, remember, if you're wanting to learn more about EXP, just text the word EXP Wealth to 888-111. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.